in your money today, Caroline Wright delves into one specific rule that is of key significance, the wider regulation and adoption of digital assets around the world. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning. Regulation, regulation, regulation. Seems like we're always talking about it. And there are certain rules that we're constantly hearing being mentioned as important, the travel rule being one of them. Now, sadly, it's not about going on holiday, but it is something that's proving to be very important in the digital asset space. So let's take a deeper dive into it. I'm joined again by Anna Blizzard. She is Senior Managing Director in FTI Consulting Southeast Asia Financial Crime Compliance Practice. Thanks for joining me again, Anna. Thank you for having me back. So let's have a delve into this travel rule. Uh, can you help explain what it is and what sort of data it involves sharing? Essentially, the travel rule is the term used to refer to FATF recommendation number 16. It covers measures to combat money laundering and terrorism finance. Essentially, it requires countries to ensure that financial institutions include required originator and beneficiary information on the wire transfers and also the related messages, and that that information remains on the wire transfer and the related message throughout the payment chain. So in 2019, FATF updated its recommendations, including the travel rule, and extended them to virtual assets and virtual asset service providers. Ultimately, the travel rule applies to any transaction over a thousand US dollars, and in regards to the data and the information, it varies, but generally includes the name and account number of the originator and the beneficiary, as well as the originator's address, national ID number or customer identification number or date and place of birth. And there's other information that may be included, such as the date and the amount of the transfer, the originator and recipient's financial institutions, and other identifying information around the beneficiary. But that's it in a nutshell. So it just makes things a lot easier if you wanting to trace a transaction, you can find out exactly who did it and you can follow things up. But I guess the problem is until every country chooses to adopt it, there are challenges with having it in place because someone can decide that they don't want to abide by the rule. Absolutely. Um, in the crypto world, this kind of issue is referred to as the sunrise issue. So it's essentially the period where we've got the travel rule, but it's not in full effect across all the jurisdictions. And as a result, it makes it difficult, in particular for virtual asset service providers, to comply with all of the travel rule requirements. Because global implementation ultimately requires coordination of global regulations, business and technologies, and that's not currently fully in place. So you've got challenges with, as you pointed out, virtual asset service providers operating in countries where the travel rule is in force, struggling to maintain business relationships in countries where it's not fully enforced. And you've also got issues where you've got virtual asset service providers having requests to provide certain data under the travel rule, but they haven't got their technological solutions in place yet. And also you've got challenges with jurisdictions taking slightly different approaches to the travel rule requirements. So maybe differences in data protection rules or certain thresholds that are being implemented. FATF have done a review and they did a review, including a review of the implementation of the travel rule. And ultimately the finding that came out was that jurisdictions have made only limited progress in introducing FATF's travel rule. 
And I think the latest figures that I saw were from March of last year. 29 out of 98 responding jurisdictions reported having passed travel rule legislation. But only 11 of those jurisdictions had started enforcement or supervisory measures. A quarter of the responding jurisdictions were in the process of passing relevant legislation, but around a third had not yet started introducing the travel rule at all. And so, you know, with this gap, there really is a need for jurisdictions to accelerate implementation and ultimately enforcement as well. It kind of sounds from what you're saying there about how few jurisdictions have already got it in place, that there isn't necessarily a push from government towards adopting it. Is this sector itself actually being more kind of hefty in its weight in in saying we need this? I mean, FATF are trying to push hard. They're ultimately coming out and saying that countries that have not introduced travel legislation should do as soon as possible and that, you know, they should be leading by example, by promoting implementation. But yeah, a lot of it has fallen to, you know, more of business and the private sector. So the private sector's made quite a lot of progress in facilitating travel rule implementation. And there are various technological solutions out there now available to businesses to help support compliance with a travel rule. And that's coming along, but still further advancement is needed. And the rapid implementation by jurisdictions and governments would help to incentivize progress further. Regulators in the overwhelming majority of countries have been pretty slow to give explicit guidance um, on compliance with a travel rule. But that being said, there are some regulators out there that have been more proactive and have put together some well-thought-out legal frameworks, which now hopefully others can leverage. So the Monetary Authority of Singapore, for example, they've actually mandated compliance with travel rule for all crypto transactions, regardless of amount. And you've got regulators in you know, Canada, Japan, South Korea, Switzerland, that have also put in rules in place requiring compliance with the travel rule. I think from the user perspective, there is still some concern from crypto users around their anonymity being removed as a result of the various KYC and identity checks that have been put in place. So there is still some pushback in that regard. So let's talk about that a bit more. Now, I think the first thing that jumps to a lot of people's minds when they talk about someone wanting to disguise their identity is, you know, well, are they up to something that they shouldn't be up to? But there are reasons more than that, aren't there, as to why someone might want to disguise their identity when they're making a transaction. So what might they be? Absolutely. Um, There are definitely some other reasons. I think concern about privacy is, you know, a key concern. Ultimately, when we talk about the blockchain, one of the benefits is that you've got complete transparency and you can follow transactions. But ultimately, it's a public ledger. And so you've got that clear forensic trail. But that does suddenly mean that your complete financial history is public information on the ledger. And frankly, not everybody is okay with that. Crypto creators, you know, have also argued in particular that, you know, they're making serious amounts of money off of this. And since the ledger is public, it would be pretty easy for people to discover their wealth. You know, they can use pseudonyms, but ultimately people know who are behind those pseudonyms. And so they've um, raised some concerns over that and also safety concerns ultimately as well. If people know how much wealth they've got, you know, maybe they'll be um, targeted. Another example we've seen and when we uh, do a lot of work uh, with lawyers 
is around divorce cases actually as well. So we have seen more attempts by spouses to try and hide their assets from the other, which is pretty common in divorce cases. But now we're seeing it trying to hide those assets in the form of crypto because it's pretty difficult for those who are you know, uninformed as to where to start in order to prove how those assets are held and who is the ultimate owner behind them. Let's now look at some other aspects. Sanctions is one thing that where this can come in too. So how useful is the travel rule in actually enforcing sanctions? You know, we've, we've seen a lot of this recently, particularly around the war in Ukraine, where they've been put in place. When it comes to sanctions, ultimately, because the travel rule is mandating that value asset service providers obtain, hold and exchange certain personally identifiable information around the originators and beneficiaries of virtual assets. You know, they're getting names, they're getting dates of birth, national identity numbers. That is information that can now be used from a sanction screening perspective. So financial institutions and value asset service providers must use that information to sanction screen the counterparty customer and also perform due diligence on the counterparty value asset service provider. And that includes establishing whether any of the ultimate beneficial owners are on sanctions lists, you know, according to the various sanctions regimes out there. As part of the due diligence, value asset service providers would also need to assess the counterparty value asset service providers' anti-money laundering and combating financial terrorism controls to make sure that when they're submitting the customer information, it's not going to illicit actors or sanctioned entities and also have a look and consider whether they have a reasonable basis to believe that the value asset service provider can adequately protect such sensitive information. In addition, we're actually seeing countries taking further initiatives to mitigate potential sanctions evasion using virtual assets by engaging with the private sector again on sanctions evasion through training, um, acting as advisors, and also issuing red flag indicators and guidance. And all of that reiterating that all financial services firms, including the virtual asset sectors, are required to comply with economic sanctions. So there's a lot going on, a lot around this rule. But thank you so much, Anna Blizzard, Senior Managing Director in FTI Consulting's Southeast Asia Financial Crime Compliance Practice, for helping to explain that so clearly.